On this episode, FKTs, Death Metal, and Horn of Zeus. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. Your hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Well, well, hello everyone, and welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. Um, this is our last episode in um, our, our month of March celebrating women and women in the outdoors. And today's guest is Ashley Winchester. Ashley, thanks for coming on, and welcome to the show. I'm super happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, so you are a, a trail runner, um, and I guess as of now, you have more fkts than than any other women is is that correct and yeah <laughs> yeah it's crazy for me to think um that that finally happened it's been a couple years in the making and it wasn't exactly a, a goal that i set out for in the beginning so it's <laughs> it's very exciting oh that's so cool well i guess why don't we just kind of kind of start off how did you get into this how did you when did you first start running and when did you first start going for for fkts yeah um well i first started running um well i kind of dabbled in running a little bit um in high school and then after high school i i played softball and you know did pe and that kind of a thing and there's a little bit of running in that but i never really liked running at the time you know in, in pe and they make you run that mile and i always hated that um, and in softball, we did a lot of like, you know, base sprints, um, not a lot of actual like distance running, which is what I do now. And um, after high school, I kind of like ran here and there just to try and stay fit. Um, but then I, I got serious about running um, probably around like 2009, I think, um, because I discovered the Tough Mudder. And I kind of got obsessed with that idea. I just thought it looked so much fun. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get in shape for this. So I started running. Um, and my, you know, uh, partner at the time, he, he was like, oh, you can't do that. That's, you know, you won't be able to run that far. That's impossible. And so I was like, okay, watch me. Um, and so I started running. And it, a, a couple years later, I ended up running on some trails just kind of in the local park and um, fell in love with trail running the moment I hit the trails, which is kind of funny because, you know, I've always been a hiker. I grew up in the outdoors. Um, you know, I'd, I've always been a very outdoorsy person hiking and camping. Um, and so it, it seems like it would be a very natural thing for me to take to the trails. Um, but I didn't start trail running uh, until I was running for a couple of years already. But yeah, I totally fell in love with, the, with trail running um, and just kind of did it as much as possible. Um, you know, I ran my first 5k and then I, you know, as a lot of people do, I kind of worked my way up. I did a 10k, did a half marathon and then set my sights on a marathon, um, got that done. And then once I did that, I was like, well, I wonder if I could do an ultra. I wonder if I could do 50k. And so I started training for that and, um, I think it was probably about a year and a half after I did my first marathon that I ran my first ultra marathon, a 50K. Um, as far as the FKTs go, that is something like FKTs, 
or something that I've always kind of been on the periphery for me. Um, I was always aware of them, but always kind of had it in my head that, you know, FKTs are for elite professional runners, that they weren't for me. And so I just kind of like, oh, you know, those are really cool. Saw them happening, kind of didn't partake in it. Um, a couple years ago now, the I actually started getting, I did my first FKT about uh, two years ago, almost exactly. And that came about because of actually my, my boyfriend. Um, now he started doing them. And I kind of saw that, you know, you don't have to be an elite professional athlete to start running FKTs. And so started seeking them out and hunting them down. Cool. And we've, we've talked about them a lot in the past. And I, I think a good, most of our listeners know what an FKT is, but it might be a good idea. You want to just kind of explain an FKT again, just, just, just in case, you know. Yeah, of course. Um, FKT stands for fastest known time, and it is pretty much a speed record on a established route um, or trail system. And so, you know, the most common ones that people are aware of are like, you know, the rim to rim to rim of the Grand Canyon, the John Muir Trail, um, the Wonderland Trail around Rainier. Um, you know, those are some pretty popular ones, um, even like the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail. But um, yeah, so they're, they're pretty much a, a speed record and there's various styles there's three main styles that fkts can be done in there's um supported self-supported or unsupported and each one kind of has its own set of rules surrounding it nice and which which do you usually do or do you do all three for different trails um i prefer the unsupported style um because i like to be very self-sufficient and kind of just rely on myself when i'm out there and for me kind of the longer the route, the more excited I get about it being unsupported. Yeah, so I, I'm looking at fastestknowntime.com on your list of FKTs. And you've got, I don't know, like 24, is that right? 24 from just 2020. Yeah, is that, yeah. I have 30, right? 39 total. I think I did 24 or 26 in 2020, yeah. That's, that's pretty amazing. And a lot of them are like back-to-back, you know, consecutive days so that sounds like a logistical not only does it sound amazing just to actually physically do any of those but to to kind of manage the logistics of i'm going to do this on this day and then i'm going to move over here and do this other one the day after that and this is going to be my recovery and this is the you know (laughs) i'm going to fuel that and how did you plan this out did you have like a master plan to to do that for the year not really. Um, my boyfriend now, he's a, he's a school teacher. And so he only gets like certain weeks off for, well, he has the summer off. Um, but then, he, you know, there's spring break and, and winter break and, and all of that. And we tend to kind of plan our trips, um, you know, the big trips with those back-to-back FKTs um, kind of around those times. But I'm really lucky in that I am a freelance writer, so I can kind of go anywhere and work from anywhere. And so, you know, rest days, recovery days can be spent, you know, well, now with COVID sitting outside of a coffee shop using the Wi-Fi um, or something like that. Um, so my my lifestyle really lends toward 
being able to do those things and travel a lot. Um, so I'm, I'm really lucky and grateful for that opportunity. I feel as though you're one of those people who definitely took advantage of COVID and like, all right, the world's shut down. I'm just going to get out there <laughs> and take advantage of like lonely, quiet places. Yeah, it was a tough decision to make because I was actually on a trip kind of doing this, um, you know, road trip that went down to Southern California and then up to Utah and back to California, kind of hitting some national parks. And we were in the midst of that road trip when things really started getting bad and, you know, the travel restrictions started going and the quarantining and everything. And it was a really hard decision to make to stay on the road. And, you know, we had to be really cautious and and pay attention to how we were, you know, filling our gas and where we were going for groceries and what towns we stopped in because we didn't want to impact any of the smaller communities that were, you know, really heavily impacted by by COVID. So we tried not to spend any time in, in some of those smaller communities. And, you know, that meant that we left jo- uh, Joshua Tree National Park when the quarantine started because we just didn't want, even though the park was open, we didn't want to, you know, stay in that small town and potentially, you know, use their resources at the grocery store or, um, you know, even if we got sick and had to go to the hospital or something that we just didn't want to to hurt the communities. And so we ended up choosing a place actually just outside of Las Vegas and sort of living in the desert and running around in canyons and, you know, scrambling up some some peaks and and just kind of, you know, with Vegas there, we were able to go in, get gas, get groceries and then get out of town again. Um, so we kind of like quarantined a little while just out in the desert and uh, then eventually made our, made our way back to Southern Oregon. Is that where you're based out of? Yeah, I'm kind of based out of Southern Oregon slash Northern California. Um, I technically live in Northern California, but I spend a lot of time in Southern Oregon. I also am a guide on Mount Shasta, which is in Northern California. It's a 14er in, in Northern California. And um, so during the guide season, I, I spend a lot of time there and kind of live there part time. What route do you guide? Um, I've, there's, there's three routes that I've guided on the mountain. So um, the Avalanche Gulch route, with it, which is the most common one, that's yep. what a lot of people climb. And then Hotland Bolum and uh, the Clear Creek route. I know Jeff's done. I don't have you done it, Severia? I didn't remember. I have you... not done it. It yeah. was um it was actually on yeah. it was one of the things that a group of us were gonna do this year and with COVID we didn't. Yeah. So the question is like are we gonna do next year? And then there was question as to whether we're gonna do the Avalanche Gully route or a more technical route. So that was, was the sp- other that was the other thing up for debate. <laughs> I, I was supposed to do it in the late nineties and the weather was so bad we didn't even make the drive because it was, you know, a huge storm came in so we just we did something else you know i forget what we did but but we're, it was uh i think it was 98 99 and some huge storm came in and yeah it was kind of a bummer but i always wanted to go back and do it jeff you did which route did you take when you did it uh, avalanche gulch yeah, yeah. That, um this sort of the standard route that most people take as ashley said and it was um you know it was a great 
experience really loved it you know i there's something really nice about like looking up and seeing all the headlamps going up the mountain and then as the sun comes up seeing that pyramids shape you know cast in the the west really really cool you know of course everybody everybody who's been up there has seen that hopefully if you're if you're lucky uh the weather's cooperative but um yeah it's, it's a special place to go yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. the The shadow of the mountain is one of my favorite things, and you get to see it mm -hmm. from from that side of the mountain pretty clearly. It's it's phenomenal. Nice. Yeah, rumor has it if the conditions are right, it's one of the best uh, descents, one of the best glissading descents out there. Yeah, you can yeah. <laughs> you can glissade. <laughs> I so I haven't done it myself, but I've heard that people can can glissade pretty much from the summit plateau <laughs> down almost to um, the trailhead. I've heard that people have been able to do that. But, you know, I know I know skiers do that fairly often. Um, I've glissaded. I've been able to glissade back down to horse camp pretty much, which is, you know, the, the base camp. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, how did you pick? So looking at the list of FKTs, you know, that yet some of these things are, you know, kind of well known, you know, like Mount Shasta or whatever. But uh, others are a little more obscure. How did you come up with this list? I mean, would you did you browse like routes that other people had done and think, oh, let's go try this. This looks like an interesting one. Yeah, so there's actually this really handy map on the FKT website. And sometimes it was just like, okay, where's the good weather this weekend? And, you know, picking an area that has good weather and going there and, and hitting an FKT or creating an FKT that maybe didn't exist there. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of that was was weather driven, um, you know, especially this time of year. It's really hard to get out and 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 do FKTs because it's snowy and muddy and um you know, it's, it's a little difficult to travel on um, and the roads can be kind of treacherous. So, so I have a question about your Joshua Tree Traverse. So <laughs> 37 miles with no water along the route and you went both ways. Yeah. So what, like, how do you plan hydration wise for something like that? And what, like, what were you, what did you have with you? Yeah, that one, I, I loved that route um, because it posed such a, intriguing and new challenge for me with the water situation. Um, that route, it's an out and back, the one that I did. There's a, a one way, a point to point, and then there's the out and back. So it ends up being uh, 74 miles. Um, and what I did was I started out with all the water that I would need for the day. And along the my way out, I would leave caches. Um, so I would drop a little bit like a, you know, a, bladder of water with a couple of energy gels and then run a few miles further and drop another bladder of water and a couple of energy gels. And so I started out with a pretty heavy pack and, um, you know, it's a lot of running in sand out there. And so, um, the first bit was pretty slow going and I actually kind of underestimated, underestimated my water needs and ended up low on water in the middle portion so at the turnaround point um because i dropped too much water on the way out and so i was i drank all my water by the turnaround point and i had to go another like seven miles in order to get my next cache of water and so um and it was like 85 degrees out and just 
horrendously hot and a little bit humid um, because it had rained there recently. <laughs> and so um, that was that one was really it was interesting. It was a really hard route for me to complete, but it was such an amazing learning experience for me because I I'd never run that far before and I'd never had to deal with the water situation like that. Um, so yeah, it, it took me a lot longer than I actually anticipated. Um, but I was, I was really, really happy when I finished. What time did you start for that? And what time, you know, it, it looks like it was just under 23 hours or yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what time did you start? How did that um, work? I think I, I want to, I don't remember exactly what time I started, in the morning, I know. So I, what ended up happening was I, I think it was around 4 a.m. It might have been 3.30. I thought I had all my gear and everything, and I started running out and then realized that I had forgotten my gloves. And it was f so cold in the desert at night um, in the winter there. And so my hands were frozen. I, I got about a half a mile out before I was like, I got to turn around. And then I went back and got my gloves and then started again. <laughs> um, so I had a little bit of a snafu at the beginning. Um, so I think I want to say I started somewhere around a little after 4 a.m. on that. And I finished probably around 2 a.m. I think it was. Um, so there's a lot, you know, was, I got to see the sunrise and the sunset in the desert, which is always phenomenal. Um, but I also had my first experiences with hallucinations out there, <laughs> um, sleep deprivation. That was my first time kind of dealing with, with uh, you know, having to move for that amount of time. Um, so it definitely took a toll. <laughs> and was that like an established route? Did you have a time you knew you had to beat or were you sort of the first one pioneering the route? Um, established route, but no women had done it yet. Um, and I think like the one way is a pretty popular one, but the out and back has not been repeated since I, since I've done it. I mean, I think uh, a guy recently went and did it, um, self-supported. So that means that he like, he went and, and stashed supplies before he started his run. Um, so he had them along the way and then went and picked up, you know, the jugs of water afterwards. Um, and he had a smoking fast time on it. Um, but it's a little, it is a little bit different when you, you know, don't start with seven liters of water on your back. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's, you're getting into sort of the finer details of supported or unsupported versus self-supported because you, you might say, well, you're, you were caching water, but you started out with all of the water on yourself, on your, yourself yeah. and then dropped things off as you went. And it was part of your, your, uh, attempt. Yeah, so I, I did it in an unsupported style. When you do it, when you do an FKT unsupported, that means that you start with everything you need, and you, you know, you, you don't cash anything ahead of time. You don't leave anything behind. You have to pack out what you what you pack in, and so you know, like that's like any garbage or water bladders or whatever it is. Um, you have to start with everything, um, all of your food. And I, you know, you don't get help from anybody. And so, and that, you know, includes, even if I ran by a complete stranger and they were like, you look thirsty, here's a bottle of water, that would change it from unsupported to then supported. 
Well, if you took it. Not not yeah. if they offered yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, if you took it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trail trail magic counts as um, being supported. Got it. Yeah. Oh, look, there just happens to be some water on the side of the trail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you you can't you can't take from, you know, there's there's always water bottles it seems like in the desert on those big long routes um that people you know they backpack and they stash water ahead of time um so that they can backpack through and and resupply and sometimes that water is left there and it's you know it's it's always a little bit tempting but um yeah even that is is not allowed for an unsupported record so for an unsupported record you can refill water but it has to be from a natural source or from like a, um, you know, like a water f- fountain, like a drinking fountain in a park or something. So what, what kind of hallucinations did you experience on that? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I saw wild animals. Um, so like mm. all of the plants out of my peripheral vision looked like some kind of animal. And there were actually like all, there were these little um, plants in the middle of the trail that were about six inches in diameter every single one of them looked like a tarantula to me and in my headlamp in the dark it looked like it was they were moving and jumping and so there were multiple instances where you know i'd see this what i thought was a giant tarantula and try and jump over the top of it or like sidestep or something like that and you know i'm 70 miles in (laughs) on tired legs i've been running through sand all day um so yeah that was really interesting and then i saw like a lot of the bushes on the sides of the trail would look like a lion or a bear or something and it was very clearly a lion very clearly a bear um until i you know i'd have to stop and actually look at the plant and be like no that is a plant that's a bush that there aren't lions don't live here <laughs> i have to remind right. myself you know like lions don't live here there aren't bears in joshua tree i'm fine <laughs> and so when you finish you're finishing early in the early hours of the morning it's still dark mm-hmm. you know there's no uh there's no finish line with a crowd of you know people cheering you and uh you know somebody with a megaphone announcing your time or anything like that what does that feel like? And like, what's the first thing you do when you get back to the, the trailhead? Is uh, The first thing I do is crawl into the van and take try and take my shoes off, <laughs> um, <laughs> which try, can be yeah. difficult after <laughs> running that amount of time. Um, and then I think that morning I ate cold chicken noodle soup because that's what was available. And... I just didn't want to heat anything up. And so I, I, and almost immediately just laid down. And sometimes I, I didn't feel very well actually during that effort. Um, I didn't, funny enough, I didn't drink enough water and I didn't eat enough food. And so I ended up with some pretty gnarly leg cramps. Um, And so I Mm kind of laid in the back of the van for an hour or so, just kind of, waiting for the cramps to subside oh brutal it sounds awful yes <laughs> i know it doesn't it makes you want to go out and try it yourself right <laughs> mm-hmm. and and i know you had one i guess the one that that um uh when your boyfriend jason reached out to me initially was you were attempting a death valley 
traverse. Yeah. And, but unfortunately, the nature just had another idea. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So the it's this route is called the Death Valley Crossing, and it's actually something that I have been eyeing and looking at and working on for almost a year and a half now. Um, I've tried it twice and I've failed twice. Um, basically, the route goes from the northernmost point of Death Valley National Park to the southernmost point. And um, it's the, the way that I have been trying to do it is in a completely unsupported manner. Um, it's about 165 miles that's completely off trail. And so there's route finding and navigation and, um, you know, traversing across some pretty gnarly terrain. Um, and the first time I tried it, it actually, I didn't take enough water with me. Um, you know, it's Death Valley. So there's, there's actually, oddly, there's a lot of water in Death Valley, but not a lot of it is drinkable. Um, so, you know, there's nowhere to, to fill up water along the route. And that means carrying all of your water from the start. For 165 miles, that's a lot of water. Um, and the first time I tried it, I didn't take enough water and made it about 100 miles before I had to bail on the route. Um, and then this last time, which was just at the end of December, I um, took about 20 liters of water and was doing great, was on pace and it ended up dumping rain on me. <laughs> um, and, you know, if you're familiar with Death Valley at all, when it rains there, there's flash floods, there's some really nasty mud. Um, and it, it definitely put the nail in the coffin on that, on that attempt. So how do you communicate, like, from a safety perspective? Do you have a garment inreach? Like, how do you communicate if you need to come off trail or if you find yourself in a situation that becomes unsafe? Uh, so that time I was using the Spot X device, which is a satellite communicator. Um, that though, so I had that device, um, my cell phone, which there's not great cell service in Death Valley, but um, there's enough to like send a text message. Um, and I had two battery packs with me and that, that was supposed to last me for the entire route, but the actually the spot x was using up so much of my battery power that i had to turn it off for um pretty much all of the second day um because it was just draining everything so fast and so i that was that was a little bit scary for me because i knew that the cell phone service was spotty and if i lost my ability to communicate with this spot device um it could like that that could be really really bad and even though death valley seems like this you know flat barren wasteland to most people it is it's it's amazing the different kind of terrain that's out there um and you can you can be incredibly remote and far away from from any kind of help when you're doing you said you're doing like a south to north kind of thing right i mean because bad water is like below sea level and then i mean goes up thousands and thousands of feet right to the to the north end of the of the valley yeah so um i start on the north end and so you start at right around six thousand five hundred feet and you drop down okay. into the valley and then you go up a little bit as you go back out of the valley cool i, I saw on your social media too you had done uh, telescope peak that's that's on my list of not for fkt just slow 
<laughs> methodical, you know, pace. Yeah. But, but that's on my list of uh, peaks I definitely want to try to tackle in the next couple yeah, of years. Yeah, that, honestly, that is one of my favorite FKTs that I've ever done. Um, that route is just phenomenal. I highly recommend it, even like, you know, not going for the FKT. It's almost better if you're not going for the FKT because you kind of really want to stop and appreciate everything that you get to see. Um, you travel through four different ecosystems on the way up because you start pretty much in Badwater Basin and you travel up to the summit of Telescope Peak, which is over 11,000 feet. And the total elevation gain between those two is about 11,700 feet um, within, a, it's, a, it's approximately 16 miles. There's a, a fair amount of um, off-trail navigation that you have to do. So it it you know depends on on which route you choose yeah it can vary a little bit um but yeah it's it's a phenomenal route i i highly recommend it you get to travel through some bristlecone pines and the the view from the top of telescope is is really amazing wow and it looks like you made it up in 12 hours and 46 minutes up and back that's a a pretty crazy uh that's 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 uh, That's yeah. quite a feat. That's quite a feat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I had a rough day too. I had a rough go of it. Um, and it was my that was my second try. So the first time I tried Telescope Peak um was about a year ago now, I think. And I there was so much snow up top that I yeah, I was like floundering in waist deep powder <laughs> for hours. And I gained the the final ridge to the summit and you know, it had just spent so much time. I was almost out of water and was pretty much out of food and still had to make my way back down. So, um, decided to bail at that point on, on that particular effort, but went back and got it, um, just this last fall. Nice. No snow this on, on the second attempt? Hardly any snow. Oh, cool. Um, which is like, you, it would be nice to have a little bit of snow up there just because, you know, if you have too much snow, then you're kind of like floundering in, in snow and it's difficult. If there's no snow, then it's just this scree field for days. It's <laughs> And you gain like 1,500 feet in a mile. Um, it's really steep. And so um, it, it's pretty difficult traveling when it's dry, too, because you're just, you know, two steps up and you slide backwards. <laughs> And are you, are you running that? Are you doing like a jogging or is it more of like a hiking and just kind of a, a fast hiking motion? On, are... When it's that steep, it's, it's power hiking for sure. I, I can't run up that. And, um, you know, there are sections along the way that are very runnable, but there's, you know, there's a few miles that are just insanely steep. So it's interesting. You've said a couple of times, um, you've mentioned that you've tried and it hasn't worked out. I mean, Talk to us about sort of that feeling of like, you know, fail, uh, failure. I always call it like a project, right? You always <laughs> learn from every experience. So like talk yeah. about a little bit about, does it make you more motivated to go back? Do you, you know, obviously you learn stuff every time. So it just makes the next time you have more knowledge, but talk a little bit about that and sort of your relationship with the failed attempts as well as the successes. Yeah, I I personally I I love failure, <laughs> um, which I know sounds weird. I don't like to I hate the word failure um, because it just it's got such a negative connotation to it. But failure to me, like that's when you learn the most about yourself and your abilities and and 
how, like what you need to work on. And so, you know, it's always hard in the moment when you decide to bail or if something is just way too far outside of your comfort zone, which has happened to me before. Um, you know, I, I made a safety call on, on a couple of routes and, you know, had to turn around and it's, it's heartbreaking when that happens. And I always allow myself to feel whatever I need to feel when, when I fail at something and then, you know, let those feelings pass. And, and then I kind of turn around and go, okay, what can I do better? What do I need to work on? Um, do I, is this something that's worth trying again for me? That's, that's kind of a big deal. Cause if it's, you know, if you're, if your heart's not in it, then, um, it might not be worth chasing, but, um, I, you know, so far with, with my failures, I've been able to kind of turn around and, and look at it and really inspect what happened and, and use it as a springboard to sort of do better and, and train better and, and, you know, plan better. Um, and it's, you know, it's, I feel like when I failed, those have always been my best stories and my, the greatest learning experiences. Yeah. And I think we all know that even with the outdoors, like there's sometimes where it's just out of your control, right? Like you can make the best plans and you can have everything prepared, but sometimes nature or a route or, you know, there's the unforeseen things that just happen. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes, you know, on paper, it looks like it's, it's doable and within your, your abilities. And then you get out there and you look at it and you go, yeah, I'm not comfortable doing this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that's important. It's, I think it's important to be able to make those calls and make those safety calls because it's easy for people to, well, for some people to push through and, you know, put themselves in a, in a dangerous position um, or a life-threatening situation and when it's totally unnecessary. How do you research your routes? Because that's a good point, right? Because, like, on paper, you know, there's only, there, you know, a topo and is 40 feet. So, like, 80 feet elevation gain can look really different and you can't really read those things. So how do you right. sort of, what do you do to best prepare and get as much information and beta as you can on the routes? Yeah, it's actually one of the things I really love about FKTs is the planning process. Um, I spend hours just staring at Caltopo um, and looking at maps and, and, you know, looking at routes. And so far, the routes that I've done have all been done previously. Like, they're, they're well-known trails or, or mountain routes. And so I can reach out to, you know, the maybe the mountaineering community and go, you know, how are the conditions out there? Who's been up there recently? Um, you know, where's the best, where, where can I fill up my water? Um, you know, what does the water look like? Do I need to treat it? That kind of a thing. Um, so there's a lot of like kind of feeling around, um, you end up, at least I end up reaching out to a lot of people, um, even complete strangers and, you know, being part of, you know, those Facebook groups, and being able to see what people have been have been doing on you know particular routes um, is is kind of most of how I, f I figure out some of the planning. There's always a lot of times you can find trip reports from other people. Um, it just takes a little bit of uh, internet search to do that. Um, and luckily on the fastest known time website, you're required to submit a trip report 
when you submit your FKT. And so any time that it's been done previously, people have trip reports and a lot of times they'll, they'll, you know, write in like where they refilled water or, you know, where they felt the crux was or, or, you know, um, little details like that. So that's awesome. Well, I'll oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, are there like, what are the things that like you always have with you? Like, I mean, I know we, we talk about like the 10 essentials and stuff like that, but I feel like you probably have a very specific set of like ride or die items that are in your pack with you. <laughs> um, what, what, um, are, what are those things? Yeah. It, I mean, it depends on the length of the route. Um, you know, if I'm looking at like a 50 K distance, I won't take as much stuff as I would take on, you know, a hundred mile distance, um, or, you know, a multi-day trip or something like that. Um, so, but mostly I always have like an emergency bivy with me. I always have extra layers. Um, I always have my emergency communication. Um, you know, especially if the route goes into the wilderness or, you know, is away from any kind of cell service. Um, I always have those things with me. I, I'm a big fan of having extra, cl uh, extra clothes with me um, because I get cold really easily. <laughs> and so I, I don't take any chances with that. And I, I usually have an extra layer or two. Um, extra food. And I always know where I can get more water if I need to. What, what kind of food do you bring? What, what sort of things fuel your ad adventures? So um, I actually, I use Tailwind a lot in my, in my running because it's a liquid, uh, liquid fuel. Um, it's easy. It's like, it's a powder. And so it's really lightweight. I can carry a resupply of it. And it's pretty much, you just mix it with water. Um, and you get calories with your hydration. And that's saved my butt a couple of times because I'm not very good at eating while I run, but I, I know I need the calories. And so Tailwind really helps with that. Um, I also have used energy gels, but I like the ones that are made um, with like real ingredients. Um, so like spring energy gels treat me really well. Um, Huma energy gels have treated me really well, but I also just really like real food. Um, you know, I'll take mashed potatoes and potato chips. Um, <laughs> I've taken cookies. I've taken, I've taken cold pizza <laughs> before. Like I really like real food when I'm doing these things. How about a frozen burrito? Have you taken a frozen burrito? That's... <laughs> I've never taken a frozen burrito, but I've, I've made like a little breakfast wrap before with like eggs and bacon and stuff and <laughs> brought that along. <laughs> so I, I think I read in one of your articles that you, you, you refuse to sort of pick a favorite FKT. So I'm going to try to like end around that and ask now, if, which of these, if someone else went and took it from you, would you be most likely to go and try and, and, and take it back? Ooh. That's, that's a, a good, good question. yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, because most of the time people ask me like, oh, what's your favorite? And I'm like, I can't decide. <laughs> like I have a lot of favorites. Um, that's why I do research. <laughs> I, <laughs> I honestly, um, well, there is one that has been taken from me that I want to go back and get. Um, 
but I wouldn't call it my favorite route. <laughs> um, so it's the, it's the Mount Shasta from uh, horse camp to the summit. So it's a very short, like, you know, intense <laughs> effort. And I would love to be able to take that back. Um, the, the woman who has it, I think her name is Sarah Burke. Um, I might be wrong, but she's a complete and total badass. She's insanely fast in the mountains. And so, um, I'm not sure I'll be able to, but that is one that I would like to go back and get. Um, also, so the, um, Crater Lake Rim High Route has also been taken from me and I would love to take that one back. Um, that is one of my actually all time favorite routes because it's just, it's so beautiful and it's such a unique experience. Um, you get to go around Crater Lake and hit the seven high points um, around the lake. And there's a variety of, you know, you you end up on pavement, you end up on trail, you are off trail, there's, you know, off trail navigation. It's and it's just absolutely gorgeous up there. Now, this is kind of a random, you wouldn't think it because it's the mountains, and whatever. But is water actually an issue? Because if you're, you know, you're up around, it's pretty far down to the water. I don't recall there being like a lot of streams, you know, up on the rim, you know, below it for sure. Yeah. And then are you, do you have to, is water an issue when you do the Crater Lake Rim? Yeah. Um, I, so my rule, my general rule is to take about one liter per, for every 10 miles um, that I anticipate being out there. And so I took about three liters with me on that route um, and it was about perfect. That was one of those ones where, I had a really hard time eating, and so the tailwind really <laughs> saved me on that. Nice. I, I, have you ever thought, do you have any desire to do longer ones, to go for some of the, the more, you know, the couple hundred milers or the ones where you're going to have to sleep by yourself out in the wilderness? Are, are you interested in those? Is that something yes. you're, you've tried? Those, those, are, those are the ones that I'm really drawn to, actually, and that's, that's what um, – so the Death Valley Crossing, the North to South Crossing – is exactly that it's it's 165 miles which is doable in a day or two for well two days for a pretty great ultra runner if you have resupplies or if you're supported but doing that as an unsupported route means you know carrying 20 liters of water on me you can't run with that <laughs> and so you know it turns into kind of this fast packing experience um, and that one I anticipate taking about five days to do the current men's record on that is just under seven days for the, um, for the off trail version of that route. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's one of those multi-day, multi-day routes. And I really love that. I, I love being in the wilderness alone. I actually, um, you know, spending the night out there is is just it's such a great experience and especially if you're by yourself um it's very formative <laughs> you kind of really figure out who you are and what you're capable of um so yeah i that's that's my favorite is when i get to be out there all night yeah so you you're out there for you know multiple days or for hours and hours and you're by yourself mm -hmm. Are you listening to music? Are you listening to podcasts? Like, 
the Almost There Adventure podcast, or you just like, you know, kind of alone in your thoughts, you know, thinking about your, are you thinking about what you're doing, your strategy, how you're feeling, you know, yeah, it, what you're going to eat when you finish, you know, <laughs> what goes through yeah, your head? That's, that's a constant thought. Um, I start thinking about what I get to eat at the finish from the very beginning. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very food motivated. Um, so I, I usually don't listen to music or anything when I'm out there. I, I, I don't like to because I like to be very aware of what's going on around me. And mm-hmm. I feel like music or podcasts or books can kind of like shut you off from the rest of the world out there. And I, one of the reasons that I really love to be out there is because I love that connection with nature and, and being there and being present. Um, that being said, there's always, you know, you always hit these kind of major lows when you're in these big efforts. And so sometimes you're just in a lot of pain. Sometimes you're insanely tired. Um, and in those moments, I do listen to things sometimes. Um, and it depends on my mood. If I really just want to pick up the pace and I'm moving really slow, I'll put on, you know, some kind of like loud, obnoxious pop or trap or something like that. <laughs> um there have been times in the middle of the night where I have, you know, put on like death metal um, because I, you know, I think to myself that, well, first of all, it makes me feel like a badass. And, you know, here I am traveling through the night. Um, I'm like, yeah, I'm, a, you know, I'm, a, I'm awesome. Um, but then <laughs> I also feel like it might scare animals away. <laughs> and I don't know if that's like if that has any basis in reality, but, um, it makes me feel better sometimes at night. Um, and then other times I do, I'll listen to books, um, just to pass the time, like, you know, going through death Valley, there's a lot of sections that are just really monotonous and, you know, you're in the, in the middle of, of the desert and, you know, it's, it's like you walk for hours and hours and you feel like you haven't gone anywhere. And so, um, you know, books and podcasts are, are great for passing the time sometimes. Well, and speaking of podcasts, you have your own podcast. You want to tell everyone about that and how you started and how they can find it and everything? Yeah. So um, my podcast is called Women of the Wild and it's women spelled with an X, W-O-M-X-N of the wild. And I started that podcast because I just had this real need and drive to try and get more women into the outdoor space. And I couldn't really figure out how to do that initially. I was like, I don't really have a big enough following to, you know, start hosting retreats. I don't really, or like, you know, having clinics or or anything like that. And I kind of wanted a way that I could reach people easily. Um, And so I kind of came up with this crazy idea of doing a podcast. Um, and I, I always have found it kind of funny because I, I consider myself a, a writer, not a talker. Um, you know, I've never liked my voice. <laughs> I, I've never, you know, I, I've, I always hated, you know, doing speeches in class. I always, I never, I've never been a talker. Um, and so the idea of doing a podcast was really terrifying to me, but I just felt this real need to do it. Um, it was one of those things where I was like, I have to try it. And so I just threw myself into it as much as I could. And it's been a little, about a year now. Um, 
since I started it. And it's definitely a learning process and a, a labor of love. But um, I've talked to some really amazing women on that podcast. And, you know, I've, I've made some great connections for myself and friends um, through that medium. But also the thing that that really... <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's hard to even put it into words. You know, when you start getting the feedback and people are going, wow, you know, what you said or what you guys talked about helped me so much. It got me through this, you know, hard part in my life or this, you know, like it, it helped me overcome this or, you know, and you start getting this feedback. It's, it, it's like, it just makes you feel like, okay, I'm doing something right with myself. Um, and so, yeah, that's, it's kind of women of the wild we i have guests on and we talk about adventuring and and life and um a lot of like i talk to a lot of ladies who do fkts but you know i've also had people on there who have you know set world records paddling um you know the missouri river and um you know just people with insane stories um so it's a it's a fun podcast and the goal with it is to kind of grow the community, create the community, and then eventually I'll start hosting those retreats and clinics that I've always wanted to do. You should come teach at one of our clinics. <laughs> come, join us in, come join us in an adventurous women clinic. Yeah, actually I've followed, I have followed adventurous women for a while now. And so when I saw that was your, your Instagram, I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> That's so exciting. I did, same, I did the same thing. I was like, oh, I know that podcast. <laughs> oh, funny. <laughs> Yay. Like, we we'll talk later. We'll yeah, talk for sure. Yeah, let's connect. <laughs> so so I, I have one more out there research-based question. I notice when reading your bio that you are from Boonville, California. Is that is that true? Yeah. Now, do you can you speak? Can you give us some Boontling? Do you know any Boontling? Is that something? Can you tell everyone what Boontling is, first case? Because probably not everyone knows that. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, Boonville is this little town in on the northern California coast. Um, and oddly, it, it has its own language that was developed um, by the youth there at one point, um, who have all mostly, like, I met... We, we used to call them old time, the old timers. Um, and I, I think most of them have passed away at this point who were around when bootling was, was really, you know, used and popular. But, um, when you drive through Boonville, you'll notice that some of the signs on, you know, restaurants and stuff like that have, have strange names <laughs> and, and it's all mostly in, in bootling and a lot of, um, so there's Boonville beer. A lot of the, the beers are named after, or, you know, named using Boontling. Um, I very distinctly remember when I was a kid, my mom made a sign um, for the fair. And it was for the, the like, old tractors, you know, section of the fair. Um, which, by the way, our, our fair there is called the Mendocino County Apple Show. <laughs> um which is, it's literally a, an apple show. Like people bring their apples and they get judged. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, the sign said, Kimmy's of the Kaji Mosh. And what that meant was men of the old machine. And so, which are, you know, the, the old farmers, the tractors. And, um, and I remember that one, one very distinctly. 
Um, the te- a telephone was called a Bucky Walter. Um, a horn of Zeus was a, is a cup of coffee. <laughs> Um, so I, I, you know, I, I know words here and there and I remember little sayings, but I don't know that the actual, I can't speak the language. <laughs> Those are better than the one I know, which is bright lighters, which the three of us are, we're all bright lighters, which is city folk, right? Uh, yes. Was, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Somebody, 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 I think actually Anderson uh, Valley is one of my favorite breweries. Boot Amber is amazing, but I remember. Yeah, they've got some good just, stuff. Yeah, talking to them and they called us bright lighters. Very nice. It wasn't like a mean <laughs> in a mean way, you know. I think it was kind of part of the probably the touristy right kind of scenario. So that right. <laughs> so so Ashley, uh, you you mentioned that you do writing. What kind of writing do you do? Um, I'm actually so for a long time I was writing like search engine optimization type posts for for companies and um you know there was a lot of i wrote a lot about marketing and like marketing funnels and um you know power words and just like all these really random things that i actually knew nothing about but now i have been writing for the outdoor space and so um i'm writing i'm actually going to be taking over the athletic brewing blog completely and i'll be in charge of that um Um, which I'm really excited about. Like, I, I love that company. I love their beer. Mm -hmm. And that's when I, you know, first started kind of being involved with the company. And then I became an ambassador. And then I was like, can I help you guys? Can I like get involved in this? And they were like, yes, please help us. Um, so yeah, I'm taking over the blog. I write for Sawyer um the water filter company they're they're like they've revamped their blog and they have so much great content on there so i've started writing for them i'm actually working just started a piece for them today and then uh and that one's actually about i'm really excited about it it's about microaggressions and micro inequities towards women in outdoor recreation um yeah so Mm. that's like i'm very excited about that one um and uh, sectionhiker.com actually just picked me up. So yeah, I'm like, I, for, being a freelance writer has been really hard. Um, because like finding actual paid work is, can be difficult, especially, you know, in the outdoor niche. And so, um, you know, I've had a lot of places who I've pitched to and they're like, yeah, we love it. Sounds great. Can you, you know, like, yes, crank out that article. And then they won't actually pay me for it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of difficult to, to get started in, but now that I'm like finding a groove, it's, it's really cool. Nice. Well, actually, I mean, amazing. Like I just, I just, you know, kind of been going over the list of all the trips you've done and, and it's so amazing how many you have and how kind of prolific you are in this space. It's, it's, it's super impressive. Um, and, you know, I think, I think obviously I'm hoping a lot of listeners and I'm certainly going to keep following your exploits. So where can people find you and how can they find your podcast? Yeah. So um, my podcast, there's a, a website and an Instagram. Um, the website is womenofthewild.com. And again, that's W-O-M-X-N of the wild. And the Instagram is at womenofthewild. Um, and then my personal Instagram is ashley.winchester. And... Ashley is spelled without an E. So it's A-S-H-L-Y dot Winchester. Um, and I'm probably most active on 
Instagram. <laughs> um, I'm not really, you know, Facebook is just kind of one of those places where it just regurgitates my Instagram. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty active on Instagram and very responsive. So awesome. Very cool. Ooh. Thanks for coming on, Ashley. Oh, we yeah, should ask you. before we complete kick you what's your next one what's the next fkt you're gonna get Ooh, the next fkt i have so many on my list um but i'm i'm not ready to announce them yet they are oh. i will say <laughs> that there um a, is a lot of mountain travel in my future and um my training currently is reflecting that and so i'm i'm working really hard to be able to cover you know, a couple hundred miles in the mountains <laughs> at a time. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> well, we're, we're excited, uh, definitely excited to see, see what you do next. Thanks for coming on, Ashley. It was, yeah. it was great talking with you. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. Well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media. On Instagram at almostthere underscore AP or the Almost There Adventure Podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at Adventure Us Women, that's Adventure US Women, Jeff at The SoCal Hiker, or me at The Muir Project. Our title track, Almost There, is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out the show notes on our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. Next time, trail advocate, runner, and retired circus performer, Randy Wharton. As always, thanks for listening.